Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 10. Stop bluffing. Yasmin. Carter shook his head in disdain as the blackjack dealer swept up the losing hand. Saudi Arabia had given him a new ritual. He spent his mornings at the card tables trying to beat the odds, but today he was nothing but bad luck. He felt a presence behind him as the scent of Yves Saint Laurent invaded his space and Yasmin came into his peripheral view. Looks like you need a break. The tables are murdering you, she said in her husky tone. Carter looked up at her and she flashed him an amused smile. You find my losses funny, he cracked with a half smile. She pinched two fingers together and scrunched her face. Just a little bit. I've been in the camera room watching you lose all morning, she said. She chuckled and reached down to pull him from his seat. Let's go. Join me for brunch, she said. Carter stood to his feet and pulled a wad of money from the pockets of his Brooks Brothers slacks and placed $300 bills on the table. The dealer broke change, but when he went to hand Carter the chips, Carter waved his hand. Keep it, Carter said. He always tipped the dealers well and they loved him for it. See you tomorrow morning, Mr. Jones, the dealer said, never losing count as he dealt a new hand to the remaining players. If you're a billionaire or a million, let's, let's just say millionaire because billionaires, they're in a whole different world of evil. Like, fuck that shit. But if you're a millionaire and you tip $100 at the table, if you tip $300 at the table and you're a multi-millionaire, Really? Like, you can't do a thou wow. You, you can't do like three thou wow if somebody's like. I mean, these dealers are working really fucking hard and getting a lot of shit. And a lot of angry people are sitting in their faces all day long because the cards aren't going their way and they might be gambling ads or whatever it may be. If you got money and you're appreciative of them and you only give them a hundred bucks when you're a millionaire, I have to look at you. Give them three. If I had $250 million or more, I would tip $3,000 at the casinos, except I am aware that I have a gambling addiction, so I don't, I don't fucking do it. I don't even play like Zynga's, uh, fucking, uh, 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 Texas Hold'em, the app, the game. There was a woman, uh, a few days ago, I, I just saw this story, there was a woman who stole $680 fucking thousand dollars from her job. To spend it 
on a slot machine mobile app game that didn't actually pay out real money. There, yeah, one day, one day when I have a time and and on a different show, I'm I'm gonna lay that shit out and I'm gonna lay that shit out because the fact that this company is taking real money but not giving real money for a free game really irritates me. Anyhow. Carter nodded and then placed his hands in his pocket as he followed Yasmin out of the casino. The blare of slot machines filled the massive space and the smell of tobacco smoke clung to his clothing. The last time I went and gambled and I knew that I had a problem at this point, I was on a cruise with my wife and every cruise has like a casino in it because the money goes right back to the cruise ship. Um, And... No, no, I wasn't on the cruise with my wife. I was on the cruise with my mom and my brother and my aunt at this time. Me and my wife weren't even married. The last time I went to a casino and knew I had a problem was uh, when I was in Vegas. The last time I went to a casino and realized I might have a problem was when I went to a cruise on a cruise and spent my entire time in the casino, didn't even see anything else, and spent up all of my per diem money and spent up money I didn't even have. In the casino, like I think I spent like maybe $2,000. Fuck, I could be lying. It could be more. It could be less. It, It was when I was 19. But that was the rush. And that was what I felt. And so... I knew I loved it at that point in time. The re the, the, the last time I went to a casino though, and I was like, I'm going to abstain is when I won $500 on one game and then spent it right back into the, put it right back on the table and lost $500 and then lost another $800 trying to get that $500 back. So now I can't even go into a place that has a casino. Like if we go to Vegas, which I beg my wife to never take me. She goes with her friends. Um, but if we go to Vegas, I go shopping. I don't I don't go anywhere near the casinos. I, I can't be in a hotel that is on top of a casino. I can't be around a casino. Like I can't be um, in the periphery of a, of a casino. Um, if we go to a buffet in a casino while we're there, because they have really good fucking buffets, um, I have to make sure that I'm holding my wife's hand and that I'm talking to her because everything is just so alluring. The excitement, the adrenaline, the, 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 the noise, the cheering, like I can hear it and I can feel it and I can literally taste it right now. I am Derek and I am addicted to gambling and I recognized it and I walked away from it and I made sure that I was nowhere in places where it could affect me again. And I'm proud of myself for that. Um, And so there are people who have a gambling addiction and so we'll go to these tables and we'll get mad at the dealer and start screaming at them in their face and we'll start denigrating them in their face. And we'll start trying to threaten the the dealer until they get ran out by bodyguards or by the eye in the sky or whatever it may be, security guards. If you have money and you're not angry, pay them folks out. I need to get out of these clothes. Take a quick shower. I don't want to ruin your meal by smelling like an ashtray. I can meet you in half an hour, he said. Nonsense. We can stop by your penthouse on the way, she said.
Carter nodded. He didn't know her well, but from what he could tell, she wasn't accustomed to the word no. The pampered Arabian princess always got her way. They called Breeze a pampered princess. They called... Is this is that it? They called uh, Ileana a pampered princess who doesn't know how to say no or doesn't know how to take the word no. Meanwhile, Carter likes to chase women down um, in, until they stop resisting. But the pampered princesses are the ones who can't take the word no. Gotcha. Fine, Carter said. You remind me of my sister, Breeze. Cha-ching. Well, Breeze must be fabulous, Yasmin responded. Now let's get you changed before I starve to death. They laughed as they conversed on their way to the top floor. When they arrived, Carter's two hospitality servants stood ready to wait on him, hand and foot. By the way, he just left Zaire and uh, Money in that harem. They just left them behind while we went and found that, you know, they were going to walk around and give away shoes and money and all that kind of shit. And then uh, Yasmin got kidnapped. For all we know, they fucked and fucked and fucked and fucked. And they're never going to speak on it again. But because you never spoke on it again, the implication is that they literally both cheated on their spouses while they were away. Each woman was equally beautiful, but Carter made sure to not take advantage. Mr. Jones is fine for the time being, ladies. You're dismissed for the day. I promise to take good care of him, Yasmin said. Their disappointment was apparent, but they didn't dare object as they left the room. I think your staff is quite fond of you, Carter, Yasmin said in amusement. And he said, I know, everybody is. I don't know what it is about this book, but for some reason, all y'all bitches find me irresistible. Meanwhile, my brother just mentioned I'm getting a beer gut. But all y'all bitches, man, can't get you off my dick. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I don't like y'all though. I only like the ones who put up resistance and I got to break through that shit through lack of consent tactics. They're just doing their job, Carter responded as he unbuttoned his shirt, revealing his chest and stomach. Oh, don't tell me you don't notice the effect you have on women. You're quite intriguing, she said. They spelled effect wrong. They used the one with the A instead of the one with the E. Her eyes revealed her own interest, and Carter shook his head with a smile. You're trouble, he said. Men like trouble, she said with a wink. You know what I've never said to a woman? You're trouble. You're trouble. Oh my God, you're trouble. That sounds like just such a manufactured phrase you're trouble and if i did say to a woman that they're trouble i'm sure that that's in a flirtatious tone there's no way you can say you're trouble without it sounding flirtatious go ahead and try it i'll wait see it sounded like you wanted to go fuck yourself didn't it matter of fact go ahead go fuck yourself carter disappeared into the bathroom i'll make this quick he said he showered the warmth of the water easing attention from losing as steam filled the bathroom. As he placed both hands against the shower walls, he lowered his head beneath the steam. Making it quick, he lathered his body and rinsed. He reached for his towel and exited, wrapping it securely around his waist. Carter dripped water across the floor as he made his way to the large walk-in closet that adjoined the master bathroom. Surprisingly, Yasmin was already inside. I thought I'd choose something debonair for you to wear, she said. You have great style. Carter smirked and walked around her. 
Thanks, but I can piece my own shit together, Ma. Women like to incorporate too many colors. Too many fabrics. I'm simple. Black Ferragamo pants, black button-up, nice mocha shoes, preferably Prada. He said if he pulled each item down, then bitch, why the fuck do you have all those other shirts? Women like to do too many colors. Why the fuck you got colors then? Women like to piece together too many fabrics. And why you got so many fabrics? And why is this women? Like, you bought these fuckers. Like, you didn't, they didn't do this. You did this. I doubt you let me and more go shopping for you. So these are your clothes. I don't, you know what, you're in my closet, but you're going to pick out too many fabrics and too many colors. I like to wear all black like a goth kid in 1997. Nothing wrong with goth children either. Goth kids become some of the illest designers in the world. Some of the illest writers, some of the illest artists, like real talk. You don't know how much work go went into putting together those outfits. Every day. Every day. Give them their respect. Nice choice, she commented. Glad to have your approval, ma, he said with a wink as he held his towel in place. Now, do you mind? He nodded towards the door. Yasmin gave him a flirtatious purse of the lips as she turned on her heels. Don't make me wait too long. I lose interest easily, she said, and somehow he knew that she wasn't talking about brunch. Of course she wasn't. Carter knew that he would have to tread lightly with Yasmin. She had been very hospitable during his time in Saudi Arabia. He spent more time with her than he did anyone else, and he enjoyed her company. She flirted. He enjoyed it, but he would not cross that line. He was grateful to her father for his assistance in their hiding out and thought that in the future, he could make a great ally. Pussy wasn't worth the destruction of a great business relationship, no matter how pretty the face it was attached to may be. Good morning, Daddy. Yasmin greeted as she looked up from her mimosa to see her father approaching over Carter's shoulder. Somehow, I knew I would find you here, he said as he leaned down to kiss his daughter on the cheek. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I thought I'd invite Carter here to a game of poker. I'm not much of a card-playing man, Carter admitted. Weren't you just playing blackjack? Don't you play blackjack to the point where the dealers know your fucking name? That's cards, my homie. That's cards, my nigga. That's cards, dude. Then you must learn, Baraka insisted. It's the kind of table that you want to have a seat at. Not everyone is accepted to play. Count me in, Carter agreed. Very good, Baraka said. Seeing as how the two of you spend so much time together, Yasmin may as well teach you. She's quite the accomplished poker player. Maybe we'll keep her out the city and safe behind the walls of comfort I've built for her, eh? Yasmin's mouth dropped as she realized that her father knew about the attempted kidnapping. Father, I... Baraka raised his hand to silence her and turned his attention to Carter. I appreciate you taking care of her and bringing her back unharmed. For that, I owe you a debt. We could discuss more this evening. It seems you're a good man to have around, just like your father, he said. He shook Carter's hand and gave him a pat on the back before walking away. How did he know? Carter asked. He runs this town. He knows everything, she shot back, and everyone worth knowing. The card game is important. Dignitaries, kingpins, investors, very powerful men come to my father's monthly game. Carter licked his lips and replied, Then you better show me what you got, ma! Ma! I'll show you, all right, she thought. While Carter was trying to learn the game, 
Yasmin was trying to learn him. She loved being in his presence, and the more time she monopolized of his, the more she wanted him for herself. Forget his girlfriend. He's here, and she's all the way there. It's not like she's his wife, Yasmin thought. By the time I'm done with him, he won't remember her name. Yasmin had a poker table set up in her suite and dismissed the dealer so she could teach Carter one-on-one. -on -one. After hours of drinking and lessons, she finally said, I don't think there's anything more for you to learn. You're kind of horrible at this. She laughed and he shook his head in amusement. You know you're the only person who I've let laugh at me in years. You know that, right? He replied with an embarrassed smile. How the fuck would she know that? I'm not even going to go into details about how there's no fucking way she would know that, but how the fuck would she know that? Oh, well, perhaps you have a soft spot for me in there after all, she concluded. Perhaps, he whispered back as he lifted the glass of cognac to his lips. She came from behind the table and said, don't worry, poker is all about the bluff anyway, and you're very good at that. I don't bluff, ma, he shot back. You must certainly do, she replied. You've been telling yourself that there's nothing between us since the day you met me. That's the biggest bluff of all. He eyed her as he stood, challenging her words as he moved closer to her, invading her space. You're very good at bluffing, but you can stop now. She leaned in and kissed his full lips, and it felt so good that her legs buckled slightly. She creamed in her panties instantly as his strong hands lifted her off the floor. She wrapped her legs around his body and pressed her pelvis into his manhood. It was big and bulging against the zipper to his designer slacks. The friction alone threatened to make her explode. He laid her across the poker table as he ripped open her blouse, popping every button until her voluptuous honey-colored breasts were revealed. I can't, he said, tormented as he pulled away, but she wasn't letting him get away this time. You can she whispered lustfully. My pussy is so wet, Carter. Stop bluffing. She pulled her panties to the side and rubbed her blooming clit. It was swollen, and he could swear that he could see it pulsating in desire. It was begging him to conquer her. Nobody has no, Carter. I could be your little secret. Carter loved Mia more, but he was a man, and the sight before him was too much to resist. He undid his belt and stepped out of his pants quickly. She wanted it. She had been begging him for the dick since he had arrived. She was a beautiful girl. He had to. Carter couldn't stop himself as he slid into her wetness. But let's go back. Back to the last book. When Murder wrote a letter that seemed so fake but Carter fell for it, saying that Mia Moore was no longer in love with him and never was. Magdalena looked at him with sympathy. I'm sorry, Mr. Jones, she said. She didn't know the full story, but she could see the sadness hanging from Carter's shoulders like coats from a rack. Me too, he replied. He looked at the picture of Mia Moore that sat in a small frame on the mantle of his fireplace. He thought of the things that he had done for her, the people he had crossed for her, and wars that had started over her. It seemed as if he was always the one sacrificing to make them work, and still she was disloyal. He pulled the picture down and tossed it into the fire. Me too. But you know, you're in Saudi Arabia, so that's different. And so you can go ahead and fuck because Mia Moore's in a different place. And so that means she doesn't exist. I mean, 
Isn't that what we're doing here? Isn't that the mindset that men can't control their emotions and, and can't control their dicks? And because she's so far away, you she's been begging me for it. She's been begging me to give her the dick. Like, I have to conquer her pussy. Isn't that where we're at right now? Fuck you, Carter. Fuck what you've done. You're no better than anybody else. We already knew that, but... Dude. All this time, they built you up as this pillar of... Virtue. As far as it goes with relationships, you're a stand-up man. Well, here you are cheating on your... Uh, your beloved, the one that you said you can't live without, the one she would tear worlds down for, and you're cheating on her. This must be how the fuck y'all felt about Jay-Z when he cheated on Beyonce. Oh, shit. Damn, ma. He groaned as her walls formed around him like saran wrap. This is what we're saying now? Your pussy is so tight. If I'm going to say that to my wife tonight. Your pussy is so tight. It forms around my dick like saran wrap. Oh my God, I'm busting. Why are we wearing condoms? Why are we wearing condoms? I mean, I figure it's because he didn't expect to be in this situation, but she was pursuing him. And women, y'all should always carry condoms too. Honestly. She threw the pussy up at him as if she were an all-star pitcher and he knocked it out the park every time. Oh my God, I can't handle this. She smelled so sweet and felt so good that the remorse he felt was overshadowed by the pleasure. He hated to say it, but this was the best he had ever had and she was willing to take it anyway. The veins popped out of his manhood and she felt his girth as she moved her hips, bucking against him as he grinded. This was the type of sex she had craved. He was hitting her spot and commanding her body. She had known that he would make her go crazy and now that he was finally inside of her, she was in complete bliss. She was sure that now that he had gotten a taste of her, he wouldn't be able to stay away. And eventually, their lust would transform into a love that no average chick from Miami could compete with. What Yasmin didn't realize was that Mia Moore wasn't an average chick. While Yasmin was relying on sex to keep Carter's interest, Mia Moore was putting in work to prove that she was the only woman in the world who could ever truly hold him down. And yet he still wouldn't be loyal to her. This is just me. Extra credit. I'm sorry. I've been through relationships. I've seen spousal abuse. I lived in a family of spousal abuse. I will never ever, I could never ever, even when I was younger, I would never ever, I'd rather walk out the house and cheating just, ugh, such a betrayal. Like, yo, if you want to do that, my homegirl, Maine, Charmaine, who runs a show called Militantly Mixed and the Blurred, um, the Blurred Co. podcast, Blurred Co. Mix podcast. Uh, where they talk about comics. It's her and my homeboy, uh, Sean Bay. Um, she's polyamorous. If you want to have an open relationship, have an open relationship. There's nothing wrong with it. But cheating is a betrayal. Carter didn't fare well at poker. He lost $75,000 in the course of an evening, but it was the price to pay to get into a room full of prestigious men. 
The table of ten ranged from a Saudi prince to an oil tycoon to a Wall Street banker from New York City. He was the only dope boy in the room, and it worked to his advantage. By the time the games were over, he had made connections with those whom he felt would be useful and had exchanged contact information with those whom felt he could be useful to them. Baraka was impressed, and as they exited the private playing room, he said, Once your legal affairs are in order, we should do business. I don't make many trips to the States anymore. My wives aren't fond of the long trip, but I want to expand my casino into the Nevada market. Las Vegas, Carter said. Yes, I'll need a partner. In fact, I just want to invest and see a return. I've seen the way you handled the dealers, your waitstaff. He paused and looked Carter square in the eye before he added, My daughter. She listens to no one, but she minds you. If you two weren't worlds apart and your line of work wasn't so dangerous, I would find you quite suitable for my Yasmin. She's a lovely girl, Baraka, but it's not rocking like that between us, he replied. I don't like to create potential conflict in business, and your backing is something that I highly value. Nevada could be a great look for the cartel. I can't get into that market alone. Las Vegas is old mafia money, built up. I don't have the muscle to fight my way in, but you do, Baraka said. Let's table this discussion until you figure out your affairs with this government case. Just keep me in mind. When the time is right to make the transition, you have my support. With the shake of a hand, the deal was solidified. All he had to do now was figure out how to get his neck out of the federal noose so that he could get to the money. Drug money was like peanuts in the scale of things. Owning a casino would legitimize him in a way that the streets never could. Not bad for a young nigger from Flint, Michigan, he thought. He adjusted his cufflinks and headed towards the elevator bank with a smirk on his face. Not bad at all. So, back in the dream book, yeah, back in book two, the dream book, um, Carter was talking about building a casino, but it was all in Mia Moore's dream. So Mia Moore is literally dreaming of the future where Carter's like, yo, I want to build a casino. This is my interest. And all of a sudden it's his interest. And it's like, okay, get the fuck out of my face, dog. You make me sleepy. Chapter 11. Take the bass out your fucking voice before I let you hear a tiny whisper that'll leave you speechless. Me and more. Daniel Broom rolled out of bed when the smell of fresh bacon frying hit him in the early morning hour. His bare chest was muscleless and hairy, accompanied by a slim frame and a small waist. He wasn't much of a man, but what he lacked in stature, he made up for in reputation. His tenacity and ambition had gained him an excellent conviction rate at work. He was the most fast-tracked prosecuting attorney the region had seen in quite a while. He ran a hand through his messy hair and made his way out to the kitchen where his wife and young daughter were already seated around the table. Morning, honey, he said as he gave her a soft swat on the behind and a kiss on the cheek. She never turned from the stove as she prepared breakfast. Morning, she responded. Breakfast will be done in a sec. There's coffee in the pot. I just need to grab the morning paper first, he replied. He stepped out onto his porch and retrieved the Miami Herald. Wandering back into the house, he grabbed the hot cup of brew that his lovely wife now had waiting at his seat. Morning, Daddy, his daughter piped, finally looking up from her coloring project. Morning, sunshine, he answered. Making himself comfortable, he unrolled his paper and took a sip of the brew. 
Before he could even dive into the reporting, he frowned as a photo fell from within the pages. He gasped when he saw an image of himself handing money to Timmy two-time Bono. Is everything okay? His wife asked as she turned briefly from her cooking. Um, yeah, he stammered as he quickly stood and grabbed the picture. Yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Look, I'm going to head in early for the office. I got a heavy caseload today, he lied, eager to get out of the house. He rushed back to the bedroom with the newspaper and photo in hand. Fuck, he cursed. He tossed the paper on his bed and noticed a bet slip from the horse race. He picked it up. On it, in big bold letters, he read the words, Gotcha! That's the only word that was on the slip. Like, when they say he read the words, Gotcha! Gotcha! That's one word. So if he read the word, gotcha, okay, but y'all said he read the words, Gotcha! Thoughts ran through his mind a mile a minute as he fumbled with his clothing. He didn't even bother washing off yesterday's stink before dressing and rushing out of the door. Before he could even reach his car, a black sedan pulled up at his curb. He paused, his car keys grasped between his thumb and pointer finger, as he diverted his attention to the vehicle. He he. <laughs> Y'all gonna get used to my shit. <laughs> the beep of the horn made him eerily aware that the surprise visitor was for him. He looked around and then unsurely made his way down his driveway and towards the tinted car. The back window rolled down and Mia Moore sat wrapped in an expensive silk scarf. The large Chanel sunglasses she wore hid the intention that shone in her eyes. Get in, she said, the tone of her voice leaving no room for him to decline. She popped open the door and moved over to the other side of the car. Broom fisted his hair and sighed heavily before hunching down to enter. Seems you're in quite the predicament, Mr. Prosecuting Attorney, Mia Moore began. You lost money, evidence money on a horse race. It was supposed to be a sure bet, but it wasn't. Now you have to come up with the money to replace the borrowed evidence before anyone realizes it's gone missing. Daniel Broom, the young cocky PA with his American boy wit, was speechless. He turned beet red as he realized Mia Moore had his balls in a vice grip. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, he roared. His heart felt like it would implode as an ache of devastation vibrated through his chest. He could see his entire future being flushed down the drain. His college boy gambling fun had turned into a nasty habit, one that had led him straight into the arms of the devil. Simmer down, Mr. Broom, Mia Moore said as she looked out the window without a care in the world. You feel that? Your tie feels like it's cutting off your oxygen, and your hands suddenly became moist. Your stomach is a bottomless pit, and your throat is as dry as the Sahara, she described. That's how I felt when you brought a case against a man I love. It felt like the walls were falling in around me. You had all the power, but now, I have the power, and I'm a ruthless dictator. I don't rule fairly. The only thing that kept me from running up in your house and tying up your kids and slitting your wife's throat while you watched was the fact that you had so many fucking feds watching me. So consider this route the easy one. You can keep your career and no one has to know about the missing evidence if you play this by my rules from this point forward. Broom's entire body was tense and he pressed so closely to the door that me and Moore thought he would fall out of the car. 
she recognizes fear. He was afraid of her. Many had been before, but she had never felt satisfaction like this until now. Before, her murder game had been a job. This time it felt personal. Part of her wanted to say the code word so that Ares could fill Broom with bullets from the place where she rested in the trunk. But she held her composure. She needed him alive, at least for the moment. She needed him to drop the case. You're threatening an officer to court. I will... You will take the bass out your fucking voice before I let you hear a tiny whisper that I'll leave you speechless. Mia Moore said as she placed a chrome pistol with a chrome silencer in her lap. Broom's eyes watered as he was instantly brought back to reality. I'm here to make you an offer. I'll give you the money you need to replace the evidence. Your accounts are frozen, he whispered. You're a fool if you think we don't have access to greater assets, Mia Moore laughed. If you drop the case against us, our men, and the entire cartel syndicate, I will give you the money in cash. You can replace the evidence and no one will ever have to know that you took it. If not, I'm going to ruin your career. I can't just drop the case. There's witness statements, evidence. Mia Moore interrupted him. Give me the locations of the witnesses. I can make them disappear. The statements will be recanted or silenced. Carter, Zaire, and Monroe aren't dead. Why are you telling him this? Why? That He didn't need to know that part. That part could have been kept secret. Once you drop the charges, they will come home. You can reduce the charges if dropping them seems too fishy. Reduce them all the way down. I'm talking slaps on the wrist. A few months in jail at the max. No real jail time. Broom was in a state of shock as his chin hit his chest. It was at that moment that he realized he was in over his head. How three men had evaded federal arrest was beyond him. Not only that, they had been smart enough to make the government start pursuing him. He wanted to stay on the right side of the law, but there was no way he could get out of an evidence scandal without ruining everything he had worked for. Do we have a deal? she asked. The car stopped moving, and Broom peered out the window to see if they had pulled right back up to his house. How do I know you won't cross me after the case is dropped? Broom said. Mia Moore reached into the front seat and grabbed the bag off the passenger seat. She passed it to Broom. There's your evidence money. The rest, you'll just have to trust me on. The fact that I have something over your head will keep your crosshairs off the cartel. If we ever go down, you'll fall with us. Did she give him the money? He hasn't done shit yet. You gave him the money. Wait, that can't be. Can't be. Daniel Broom nodded his head in understanding and then exited the car. As he watched the sedan pull away, his wife came up behind him, taking him by surprise. Holy hell, Donna! He screamed on her, jumpy as ever. Who was that? She asked. Nobody, he mumbled. I gotta go to work. He hurried to his own car and pulled off, leaving his wife standing in their front yard, watching him leave in concern. He drove all the way to the end of the block before the stop sign halted him. Gripping the steering wheel with two hands, he lowered his head and sobbed like a baby. He had just gotten in bed with Satan, and he knew that no matter how the situation played out, he would eventually be burned. Chapter 12 That murder mama shit is sexy. Carter Mm. Carter groaned as the feeling of warmth tightened around his... Y'all gotta excuse me. I've seen a lot of euphemisms for dick. But this was a new one. So I paused. 
I am sorry. I will reread that first part and we will go forward like none of this bullshit happened. <sighs> Carter moaned as the feeling of warmth tightened around his strength. He could feel the veins popping out of his shaft as his manhood grew inside of her mouth. That's three in like two sentences. Being awakened out of his sleep to the best head of his life was like heaven. Yasmin was good for not knocking before she entered. He had meant to pull her to the side and discuss what had happened to prevent it from going further. In a conscious state, he would have been able to decline this favor, but she had caught him off guard. She had slipped into his bed while he was asleep and wrapped her pretty lips around his dick. As he brought his hands to her head, he fisted her hair as he straightened his legs while curling his toes in ecstasy. Shit, he whispered. He had so much tension built up in him that he could feel himself pulsating in her mouth. Her tongue circled his head, causing every nerve ending in his body to awaken. Her hands reached up and rubbed his chest, while her head traveled south as her tongue massaged his loins. Carter sucked in a sharp breath when he felt her tongue dip too far and he tightened his grasp on her head to pull her up. He finally opened his eyes and lifted his head to the most beautiful sight he had ever seen. That pauses a side eye from me. Getting head makes it the most beautiful sight. Getting pussy makes it the most beautiful feeling. The best sex he had ever had. Look, fellas. The best sex you ever have. Literally, have y'all not heard the Chardet song, It's Never As Good As The First Time? Like, look, there's a beauty in, you know what, fuck it, y'all ain't ready for that conversation. Hey you, she said with a smile. Mia Moore? What the fuck? Mia Moore? He whispered. He wanted to think that he was dreaming. That she was a figment of his erotic imagination, but the pleasurable feeling she was giving him felt too real, too familiar to be fake. What are you? Shh. Mia Moore whispered as she placed a finger over his lips and pushed him back onto the luxurious sheets. Mia Moore pulled her dress over her head and spun her body so that she mounted Carter backwards. She snaked her hips and his eyes followed as her waist and behind winded to a silent beat. By the time her depth drowned him, he could barely hold off the orgasm. A rush washed over them both as her mouth fell open in an O, and she drew in a sharp breath as he stretched her walls. He was thick and strong. The feelings of his hands on her hips set the tone as she began to rock and roll, slowly. Carter had a front row seat and he had to bite his bottom lip to keep himself from losing his cool and moaning too loudly. Mia Moore rode him like she was a star cowboy at a rodeo show. This is what we're using. Okay. Each time she bucked back, he saw the pink of her pussy bloom as her voluptuous ass cheeks spread. It was a beautiful sight to behold. He reached out and palmed her backside, massaging it as she made his length disappear and reappear again and again in her slippery abyss. She was warm, and the honey scent that invaded his senses was a sweetness that only a woman could possess. Let's play a game, Mia Moore whispered as she turned her neck and looked back at him. The coy look in her eyes was seductive, yet flirtatious, and as she subtly looked down her own ass, she twisted her hips simultaneously. Carter smirked because she knew that he loved every moment of her sex play. I ain't been inside this pussy for months, baby. Later for games, he whispered.
Mia Moore tightened her walls until her muscles shook, begging for release, but she kept them locked around him. Have you given my dick away? She asked. You know this your shit, ma, Carter replied as he sucked his teeth, toes crawling. Lying motherfucker. Mia Moore eased up the pressure, manipulating her grip on him while winding. She tightened again as she rose upward. Did a bitch have her mouth on this dick? She asked. Never that. All I want is this right now. What's with all the talking? Carter asked. Mia Moore lowered her hips, rocking slowly, sensually. That's too bad, she said as she tightened once more. She sped up her pace, turning her love making into passionate fucking as sweat glistened on her body. This was carnal. It had been too long for them both. If you had said yes, I would have told you to let me watch, she whispered. The image of himself entwined in the depths of one of the foreign beauties as Mia Moore sat and watched was too much for him to handle. He roared and his entire body tensed as he released himself inside of the woman he loved. Mia Moore kept her pace despite the fact that she was spent. She was too close to her own orgasm to stop now. Carter sat up and reached around her body to thumb her clit. The friction of his hand was all it took. He stroked her swollen knob until it pulsated. Her back arched and her head flew back as he grabbed her neck, then her breast. Give it to me, Ma, he whispered. Mia Moore rained all over him, and her body went limp as she leaned against him. His manhood went limp and easily retreated out of her as he pulled her backwards until she lay beside him on the sweaty silk sheets. How do you know where to find me, he asked. I'm resourceful when I need to be, she said as she stared at the wall as they spooned while he ran his fingers through her hair. I used to hunt niggas for a living. Hunt and kill. Finding you wasn't hard, especially after you sent the postcard clue. Were you followed? Carter asked seriously. Does Lena and Breeze know where you are? Breeze is home with the kids. Lena's in Monroe's room, I'm sure, doing something very similar to what we just did, Mia Moore said with a laugh. This was stupid, Ma, Carter said sternly into her ear, but he couldn't help but nuzzle in the crease of her neck. Damn, I missed you. Mia Moore savored the feeling of his touch and she closed her eyes, planting the moment in her memory. Now, it was hers forever. She turned to him. I came to bring you home, she whispered. He sat up on one elbow. You know that can't happen. I took care of it, she whispered as she stared at him intently. The charges have been reduced. You, Zaire, Money, you can all come back to Miami. You can come home, Carter. His eyes turned cold. What'd you do, Mia? He asked. My son needs a mother. And your son's mother needs you. I need you, Carter. I look at our son and I cry because he doesn't know you yet. He's a baby, yes. But I want him to have you. There was no way I was sitting around while you ran for the rest of your life. Like it or not, you're in love with a murder mama, Carter. When shit pops off, I react. Now, I couldn't make it go completely away. I tried. But to avoid suspicion, you guys will have to do some time. Five years. That's lightweight, though, compared to the life sentences they were trying to throw your way. You come home, you knock out the fed time for tax evasion, and I'll be waiting for you when you get out. I just want you back, she professed. As she spoke, tears fell down her cheeks, and Carter could see that his absence had taken a major toll on her. They had spent years apart and had vowed never to separate again. 
Carter didn't want to see the inside of any prison, but for his family, he would do those five years. If that's what it took to get back to me and Moore and Carter Jr., he would. He wiped the tears from her eyes. Don't ever put yourself at risk for me, Ma. I'm not worth your freedom. I'm not worth tearing a mother away from her son. You hear me? I can take care of myself. Our little man can't. That's your job while I'm away. He is me, and I am him. He is my weakness, Mia Moore. So make him strong. Make him your first priority from now on. I come after that. You understand? She nodded. Yes, and that selflessness is one of the many reasons why I'm in love with you, she whispered. What selflessness? Nigga, that's y'all's kid. Your kids come first. This is why is this difficult for people to get? I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Okay, fine. Carter smiled and gave her a small laugh. What? she asked. She frowned in confusion. That murder mama shit is sexy, he whispered. You rolled out for your man. Always, she replied with a laugh. He watched her as she gave him a mischievous grin and disappeared under the sheets. They had been apart for too long. She had to remind him of all the things about her that he loved so much. It was time for round two. Monroe stared out the window of the penthouse suite as he leaned his head against his forearm. The sun was rising, indicating a new day. Yet Monroe still hadn't let go of the old one. His mind was restless. Sleep didn't come easy for him these days, and the beautiful servant massaging his shoulders did little to calm his worries. A constant burden rested on him. It was the cause of all of his tensions. No amount of rubbing would make those go away. Can I do anything for you? The Arabian goddess asked sweetly. Out of nowhere, a voice responded, You can remove your hands before you find yourself without any. The servant immediately let go of an astonished Monroe as he turned to see Lena's not-so-sweet face. Her scowl was harsh as she stood with her arms folded across her chest. Really? She asked as she cocked her head to the side. Monroe didn't justify her displeasure with the response. He rushed her, picking her up, his arms wrapped under her behind as he lifted her. His excitement couldn't be contained as he pushed her against the wall, knocking expensive French paintings to the floor. Their kiss sent them to another world as the servant stood awkwardly, watching them. She cleared her throat. <clears> throat> Monroe waved his hand, dismissing her without ever losing focus of Lena, and the servant fled the room. As his hands explored her body, he realized he hadn't been homesick. Monroe had missed his woman. He lifted her skirt and ripped her panties as she fumbled with his pajama slacks. He filled her up to capacity as he pulled back, moving her hair out of her face gently. Her mouth was slightly open and he slid his tongue inside as he made love to her against the wall. I missed you, she whispered. Oh God, I missed this. Monroe had so much anger, so much emotion, so much love, so much everything built up inside of him that he was more passionate than he had ever been with her. Monroe had left Miami on bad terms with Lena. They had fought. They had beefed out when he had been forced to go on the run. Leaving her while they were in distress ate him up inside. He didn't like to leave loose ends untied, and it had been weighing on him. The last time they had seen each other, hateful words had been spoken. He needed her to feel his love for her, and he was trying to give it all to her in that moment. Her legs were wrapped around his waist, and he pinned both wrists above her head with one hand. 
He placed the other hand around her to pull her love into him. Her wetness soaked him as his hips went in and out. Lena was a prisoner to his stroke. At his mercy, she could do nothing but close her eyes and let him take her on the orgasmic high. Monroe moved from her lips to her neck, to her breast as he kneeled before her. He kissed her belly button, her stomach. She gasped. She held his head and braced herself because she knew where he was headed. He found her throbbing clit and took it between his moist lips. I'm sorry, he whispered. I'm so sorry. Before he even said the words, all had been forgiven, but she didn't tell him that. She let him pour all of his woes into her as he licked and sucked her gently. Ha ha She moaned. Money, wait. No, baby. Just come, he said. Lena brought her knees up and pushed it into his chest, sending him onto his back. Straddling him in a 69, she placed her flower back over his face as she eased his manhood into her mouth. She could taste her sweetness on his tongue as she pulled up on him with her tongue. Deep, then shallow, then deep and wet, oh so wet, until finally he reached his peak. He sucked her clip mercilessly as he pulled her hair, causing her to lift his head as his seed spilled. He knew that she had gotten hers as well when he felt the tremble of her thighs. She climbed off of him, headed towards the bathroom. Come shower with me, she asked. Monroe arose and followed her into the bathroom. The steam from the shower quickly filled the air as they stepped in together. How are you here right now? he asked. I can never stay away from you, money. I love you, she said. She took the soap and squeezed some on a towel and began to wipe his broad chest. I'm sorry, Ma, about everything. I don't want to fight with you. This shit has eaten away at me since we left Miami. I couldn't reach out to you. Couldn't hear your voice. The last time I saw you, we were yelling and saying shit that we should never say to each other. I love the shit out of you, Lena. I want you to know that every minute of every day. I just got ghosts on you, and I didn't know if you knew. I needed you to know. Monroe gripped the back of her neck as he spoke. Their faces inches apart, their soapy bodies close. They just want to be one. I knew, she replied in a husky whisper. No, Ma, you don't know, he said as he looked in her eyes. I could see it in your soul. You couldn't feel me. You didn't know because I didn't show you good enough. Marry me. What? She said as she pulled back. You heard me, Ma. I'm not speaking French, he laughed. When? she asked. Now, Monroe replied. He eased her under the stream of water as the remnants of her lovemaking circled the drain. Cleansed and feeling pure, Monroe didn't know if he was caught up in the emotion of the reunion or if this had been his plan all along. All he knew was that he wanted her to be his. He wanted her to know that what they shared was nothing less than authentic. Let's go. He pulled her out of the shower. I want to be married tonight. By the time the sun sets, you'll be a diamond. What the fuck? Do we believe in punctuation? I want to be married tonight. By the time the sun... Wait, what? The more I look at this, you know like that meme, the more you look at this, the more fucked up it seems. I want to be married tonight. By the time two sunsets, you'll be a diamond, he said. By the time two sunsets. Also, you know who's not having a good reunion? Zaire. Y'all just left the babies at home with Breeze and was like, we going to fuck our men. You stay here. Yeah, no. Yeah, you stay here. 
We'll 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 have him send you a postcard. We'll bring it back with this. He could take a dick pic. We'll we'll bring it back to us with us back to you. You stay here. What money? She exclaimed. This is crazy. We can't do this. Not here. Monroe paused. Is this what you want? Lena was suddenly breathless, but her smile was infectious. More than anything in the world. Then that's all that matters, he said. Mia Moore looked over at Carter and smiled. He gave her a wink, causing her to blush as they sauntered through the desert atop the humps of brown camels, wearing all white. Monroe rode in front of him and Zaire behind them. The day was slowly slipping away as the sky transformed from blue to beautiful mixtures of orange and red. The tan sand dunes around them served as the only backdrop. Dusk was upon them and happiness was in the air. Lena rode last. She was carried on a canopy-covered platform, escorted on the shoulders of four men. Her identity concealed as they made their way into the desert, where her wedding ceremony awaited. She couldn't believe that this was happening, and so suddenly at that. She peered out of the canopy to see the imam, who stood patiently, waiting for them to arrive. Although she wasn't a practitioner of Islam, the Muslim religious leader was the only option. There wasn't enough time to fly her own priest out, so she would be wed under the blessings of the Muslim tradition. Her heart beat out of her chest. She was nervous, but nothing about her was unsure. The connection that she shared with Monroe was incomparable to anything she had ever felt for another human being. Their friendship was deep like a bottomless ocean. Not even they had explored all of its depths and secret places. She looked forward to embarking on the journey of intimacy together in the years to come. Damn, I'm about to become somebody's wife, she thought. A few tears built up in her eyes. She had never been a princess. She didn't know what it felt like to be entitled, to be royalty. Her entire life, she had always dreamt of the day that her prince would come. The reality was so far from the dream that it made her emotional. She always envisioned marrying into a traditional family. She imagined baking cookies with her mother-in-law or giving corny sweaters to her father-in-law for holidays and birthdays. Monroe's family was incomplete, however. His mother, his father, and Mecca were pieces to the family puzzle that would forever be missing. In a perfect world, they would have been front row at the wedding. But today, their absence was blatant. So was Breeze's! She could only imagine how hurtful that was to her man. She wiped her eyes. She didn't want to ruin her flawless makeup or put a damper on the day, but she couldn't help but wish that they came from a more traditional world. You know who else is missing this there, son? A world where street wars and chaos didn't exist. She let the fabric close and took a deep breath as she felt the four men who acted as her carriage stop moving. This is it, she whispered. You're about to be Lena Diamond, she whispered. Why are we saying this twice? Lena knew how big of a responsibility came with the name. Carter Diamond's children had been raised to believe that diamonds were forever. The name rang bells in the streets of Miami. She was about to take on the legacy of another man, of her husband, and while it was one of the most joyous things she had ever felt, she also felt overwhelmed. She realized that she was about to make this thing official, and there was no turning back. Once she was in, she was in, and the only way out was death. Lena wondered if she was making the right choice. Their love wasn't perfect, but life was not a fairy tale. It was time for them to solidify as one. She couldn't ask for a better mate. 
The curtain opened, and she stared into the eyes of Zaire. Hey, Lee, Zaire greeted with a smile. Hey, Zai, she replied with an equally dazzling grin. She was a woman in love, and it showed. She was truly glowing on this day. You ready? Zaire asked. She nodded. Doesn't feel quite right doing this here without breezing the babies. My parents, she admitted. Right now, all that matters is that you and money are here. Everyone else is just extra, Zaire schooled as he extended his hand. Lena placed her hand in Zaire's. For years, he had acted as brother to Lena and uncle to her son. He was truly loyal, and Lena was glad that he was there to escort her to her awaiting groom. Here goes nothing, she said as she beamed while Zaire reached up and lifted her into the air before placing her on her feet. Her Carolina Herrera dress was long, made of soft silk. It was simple. No poof, no train, just a long flowing fabric that hugged her body just right. The thin straps held it up against her lean yet curvaceous frame. She stood next to her Zaire as she hooked her arm within his. Her Zaire, what? All eyes were on her. Carter and Mia Moore stood lovingly to the side while Monroe stood beside the imam. If she had any qualms before, they were all erased the moment she saw his face. He calmed her soul with just one glance, and she knew that it didn't matter who wasn't in attendance. All they needed was each other. That's what true love was all about. Zaire escorted Lena all the way to Monroe. A sense of peace washed over her. The closer she got to him, the more her smile brightened. Zaire stopped and extended his hand to Monroe. Congratulations, family. He told Monroe with a nod. Thank you, bro, Monroe replied. The gestures were a far cry from the bullets that had been flying at each other the last time Lena had attempted to wed Monroe. Monroe turned towards Lena and grabbed her hand as they stepped in front of the imam. Her fingers merged with his as if they were two pieces of one puzzle coming together. They turned to one another as electric compatibility sparked through them. The imam cleared his throat and began speaking in Arabic. The English translator who stood behind them brought clarity to his words. We stand here under the laws of Saudi Arabia and the blessings of Allah to join this man with his first wife. The couple have requested to recite their own vows as they enter into this union, the translator expressed. Monroe stepped towards Lena, closing the small space between them as he gently caressed the side of her cheek. His eyes drank her in, admiring her. You've never looked so beautiful, he said. He was overcome with emotion as he peered to his bride, and she could see tears accumulating in his eyes. She wiped them away for him as he began his vows. He pressed his head against her forehead as he cupped her face and closed his eyes. He was visibly overwhelmed. No woman has ever given me what you give me, Lee. I promise to protect you and keep you well, because when you're safe, I feel whole. When you hurt... I hurt, and I promise to never do anything to hurt myself. You give me a reason to breathe, Lena. You're the air in my lungs. You fill my spirit. You steer me straight and bring morality to the world of wrong I live in. You have intrigued me from the first day I met you. I promise to never let that intrigue die. To always reinvigorate our love and keep it fresh as the years go by. I promise to appreciate you, to nurture you, to support you, to honor the woman that you are. I will cherish you and walk with you faithfully. I vow to never burden your spirit with disloyalty. 
You have my fidelity until the day that my body fails me and I'm no longer of this world. Even still, my spirit will always walk with you. I will forever love you, Ma, from day one until the death of me. So I'm guessing he didn't fuck when they left him alone in that harem of women who were having orgies all around him. And Carter told them to partake. Or I'm guessing that fidelity means going forward. Yeah, that one sounds more accurate. Going forward, I won't fuck around on you. You don't need to know what ha- what happened in Saudi Arabia stayed in Saudi Arabia. Because Carter ain't telling. Like, like me and Moore literally asked Carter, did any other woman fuck you? Did any other woman suck your dick? And he was like, nope. Lena was filled to capacity with joy. His words were so heartfelt and unrehearsed. They weren't perfect, but they were Monroe. They symbolized everything that embodied the man he was, and she loved them. No vow had ever sounded so sweet. His words sent the sentiment of love into the air. Lena's mouth fell open. At a loss for words, her tears finally freed themselves. It was his turn to wipe hers away. I don't know how to follow that. She said, overcome with a small chuckle, causing Monroe and everyone witnessing the ceremony to laugh and erupt in applause. I'm simple, Lee. You know what I need to hear, he whispered while gazing lovingly at her. I will love you, she whispered. I vow to love only you until I die. That's my girl, Monroe said with a coy grin. That's enough. That's all I'll ever need from you. I've got the rest. He turned to the imam and nodded his head. Again, in Arabic, he spoke as a translator assisted. By the powers given to me by Allah, you may kiss your lovely bride. Monroe's lips graced her so delicately that she melted into him. They were now husband and wife. A new family, a subsidiary of the cartel, had just been forged. Not by blood, not by money, but by love. 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook uh, Leave a review on Podchaser Copy and paste that in the Apple Podcast Copy and paste that in the Good Pods Thank you to everybody who's been checking us out on Good Pods And on Podchaser I greatly appreciate it You can donate to the show at Patreon.com slash Single Simulcast Or at BuyMeACoffee.com slash SSCast Or on the Good Pods app You can leave a tip All donations go towards buying books for this show and movies for Hindsight, my other podcast, which, yeah. Uh, Thank y'all so much for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name,